Before we begin our Torah study, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. <clears throat> Sometimes a word from the Lord can change everything for you when you're going through a difficulty or uncertainty, some challenge, when you're waiting and waiting and waiting, and you don't know how something is going to go, to have fellowship with God and to, to, to get in your spirit what God intends to do, what he wants to do, can be so useful. It can make the difference between giving up and holding on. But a word from the Lord can also interpret what's going on in your life that not about the future, it's about your current situation. And it can help you understand God's perspective on what's going on. Remember when Rebecca was having her problem uh, pregnancy and she was asking God, what is it? And the Lord said, it's, there's turmoil inside of you because there are two nations inside of you. And the Lord gave her understanding. It wasn't just a medical issue. It wasn't just a difficult pregnancy. There was a spiritual dimension to this. And God wanted the mother to understand about her two sons. That the conflict that they were having in the womb was not born of them, it was born of him and the choices that he had made. And so she embraced that understanding and it was useful to her. There are times when if you do not have a word from the Lord, if you do not have a sense from God what he is doing and what he wants to do, if you lack what could be called chazon, vision, prophetic insight or revelation, then you won't be able to um, choose wisely how to spend your time. What should you do and what should you not do? It will be difficult to say yes to the right things and no to the right things. It's important to have vision. Without vision, the scripture says, the people perish or they cast off their restraints. You see, a word from the Lord can make all the difference to you. And the scripture is filled with examples of people who received the word from the Lord. One of my favorites is uh, the prophet Jeremiah before he was a prophet, before he knew he was a prophet. When he was just a lad, the Lord spoke to him and Jeremiah's response was, this can't be true, I'm too young. And then the Lord said, don't say you're too young. I can call you at this age because I have already called you. And then the Lord showed Jeremiah that not only could God speak to him, but Jeremiah could hear from him. And so from a child, this was developed in him. Another example that's of interest to me is when Samuel, who would become a prophet, was being raised in the temple by the priest Eli or Eli. 
And there was a night when he woke up and he thought he was hearing Eli calling to him. And so he got out of bed and he went to Eli and disturbed him because he heard this voice that sounded like Eli's voice. And Eli said, it wasn't me, go back to bed. He went back to bed. He heard a voice again, and again it sounded like Eli, he went to him. And this happened several times, and finally it turned out that what was sounding like the voice of Eli was really the voice of the Lord, talking to Samuel. And this tells us something, that that you can hear the Lord, but it can come through another voice that you think is one voice, not another. A person can be speaking to you and they can be empowered by God with a word from the Lord for you. They may not fully know it, but you may recognize it. A donkey, when necessary. During dreams, during visions, during worship, during prayer, during study, during fellowship, there are many different times when you can hear from the Lord and it can become powerful for you. Now know this, we have to learn to be discerning what is from the Lord and what's not. And as we examine the Torah portions we'll look at today, I think it'll help equip you about how to be discerning. So let's start with a reading from um, last week about Jacob's ladder, the dream that Jacob had when he saw the Lord, Genesis 28. And remember, this is a dream, but it's more than a dream. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Genesis 28, verse 12. Jacob dreamt that there before him was a ladder resting on the ground with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of Adonai were going up and down on it. And then suddenly, Adonai was standing there next to him. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you are lying, I will give to you and to your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of dust on the earth. You will expand to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. By you and your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Look, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will bring you back into this land because I won't leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Verse 16, Jacob awoke from his sleep. Let's pause right there. Clearly he was dreaming, right? But there are different kinds of dreams that a person can have. This is a spiritual encounter with God that takes place during a dream. Sometimes dreams are not spiritual at all. Sometimes they are the way that our brains defrag. How how many of you remember how hard disks need to be defragged? How how many of you remember (laughs) MS-DOS? Yes, okay. You are good from the days of old. I asked this last night, how many of you had a 286 computer and you thought, this is so fast? (laughs) Everything's relative. But this was not a defrag dream. Sometimes dreams are the, the way that we sort through what's important and what's unimportant and we sort of collect 
thoughts and we keep certain more important thoughts together and we discard other thoughts and then they get filed away with this in mind. Sometimes dreams are the outworking of uh, emotion and thought that we're unsettled about and they can help us sort through things but they are um, a process by which we're just working through things. How, how many have had this experience where the things that, that happen during the day show up in your dreams at night, sometimes in strange ways, sometimes in symbolic ways, sometimes in literal ways, but that's not this type of dream that we're reading about. This is a different kind of dream. There are other kinds of dreams that are just the working out of anxiety and the working out of problems. And uh, that's not what this dream was. Some dreams are just connected to pizza. <laughs> and what you ate late at night may stir up things, and you really don't want to be confused about this because you don't want to make lifelong decisions based on the word of pizza <laughs> to you. This was a dream, and Jacob was sleeping. But it was a dream in which God came to him and opened up the curtain, if you will, that typically and normally separates our perception of the spiritual world and our perception of the natural and physical world and showed Jacob that these, in fact, are one world. That's something to keep in mind. It's not that there's a spiritual world and then there's a physical world. There's one world, but we perceive them as being disconnected most of the time. That was not the case here. When Jacob is seeing that the angels of the Lord are coming down to earth and going back up to heaven. It's a representation of the connectivity of uh, this world. And then the Lord shows up. And this is an interesting idea. In the dream, it happens suddenly. So Jacob has a sense of time. He's looking into the world of eternity in some way, but time is also at work. And sometimes I think we conceive of eternity as being timeless, but I think that the progression we associate with time may still be at work in the realm of eternity, but just in a different way. Suddenly, the Lord was standing there next to him. It's important to focus on some little details because they'll help you grasp the picture of God, the idea that Torah wants to convey about who God is and what he's like. So this is a dream, and this detail that God is standing next to him is important. Jacob perceived the Lord's presence, and that tells us something. People can perceive the presence of the Lord. He knew it was the Lord. He said, the Lord was standing next to me. And he heard the Lord speaking to him. The Lord even spoke about the land on which Jacob was lying. So to get the picture, I think, Jacob is lying on the ground. He's now asleep. 
His pillow is a rock. And suddenly, while he's sleeping, the Lord is standing there next to him. And his spiritual eyes open up, and Jacob sees it's the Lord. Okay, now this is challenging if you have a view that God is always invisible. Jacob sees the Lord. He sees the presence of God. He sees God in a material way because God is standing next to him. He does not say, I just sensed the aura of God. Or I just had a spiritual sense that God was there. He states it matter-of-factly, God was suddenly standing next to me. That is an important idea that we need to hold on to. When the Lord speaks to Jacob, Jacob hears him. That's another important idea. God can speak, and he can speak in words. And human beings can hear his word. In fact, if that were not possible, we couldn't have Torah. We couldn't have the prophets or the writings. We couldn't have Brit Hadashah. How many times in the scripture does it say, and the word of the Lord came to me saying? So it's important for us to grasp this and to allow it to form in our own minds and our thinking so that we can develop a biblically oriented paradigm of thought, a way of thinking. If you over-spiritualize some of these things, or over-psychologize them, or make them allegories or symbolic of stuff, then you will be doing harm to what the scripture is saying. Because the scripture is telling a story, and the details are important. Get it. All of this had a profound impact on Jacob, and he exclaimed, This is interesting to me. When he woke up, he didn't try to shake off the dream. Have you ever had a bad dream? And maybe you awaken in the middle of the bad dream trying to put this nightmare out of your head. But in any case, when Jacob wakes up, he doesn't say, oh, don't eat pizza that late. He doesn't say, It probably was just me working through my own psychological stressors and the issues that I'm trying to resolve. He didn't say, this is just a Jungian archetypal projection onto the real world. He he doesn't do any of that. He wakes up and he says, the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. So when he wakes up, he affirms that the dream had a spiritual reality for him. It wasn't just symbolic. It had reality. The Lord is in this place. Now that's fascinating, that God came to him in a dream. But sometimes that's the only way that God can work through us. There are times when the only way he can can penetrate the ways that we think, the strongholds in our thoughts and understanding is to let us go to sleep. And then when our defenses are down, in a sense, he's able to come 
and to speak to us in powerful ways. Now understand this, Jacob and the people of his era were not primitive. They were not people who thought every dream was a spiritual dream. They were not people who, who could not understand the difference between other types of dreams and an encounter with God that takes place in a dream. So he had that understanding. Now, years later, as we're reading this week, Jacob has another spiritual encounter with the Lord. And this one is not a dream. It's not a mystical vision. Um, Jacob is returning to the promised land and he knows his brother Esau is coming. And Jacob is expecting the worst. He thinks that it's going to go bad for him. And so he prays about everything that he's afraid of and about his worries. So turn now to chapter 32, Genesis 32, starting in verse eight. Jacob became greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people, flocks, cattle, and camels with him into two camps, saying if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, at least the camp that is left will escape. And then Jacob said, this is his prayer, God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, Adonai, Lord, who told me, return to your country and your kinsmen, and I will do you good? I'm not worthy of all the love and faithfulness you've shown your servant since I crossed the Jordan with only my staff, but now I have become two camps. Please rescue me from my brother Esau. I'm afraid of him. Afraid he'll come and attack me without regard for mothers or children. Lord, you said, I will certainly do you good and make your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand by the sea, which are so many they can't be counted. Now, this is an interesting process. Jacob is talking honestly to the Lord. He's praying to the Lord. He's not waiting to go to sleep, hoping that his anxiety will dissipate while he's sleeping. He is bringing his worries to the Lord. This is how you cast fears upon the Lord. This is how you cast your burdens upon the Lord. It's not by suppressing them, it's by expressing them to him. The kinds of things that you worry about <clears throat> can become the content of your prayer when they are honestly brought before the Lord. And you can convert your worries into prayer when you mix your worries with your trust in God. And that's what Jacob is doing. It's a very powerful experience. Jacob is reminding the Lord about the things that God had promised him all those years before. And the word that God gave Jacob, the word years before, which came in a dream, that word was alive for Jacob. He held on to it. He committed it to memory. He could recite it. He gave honor to the word that God had spoken to him in that dream. And so I want to encourage you, hold on to the word of the Lord. Yeshua said this, let my words abide in you. Let them find a home in your heart and your mind. I think it's important 
to recognize something. When God sends a word to us, when he gives us understanding, however it comes, it's worth it to show honor by writing it down, by preserving it. Now, I remember this period in my life where I tried to write down things that the Lord gave me, but I wrote them on little pieces, scraps of paper. How many of you had that habit where you would try to document it and then you'd put it in your pocket? And in my case, um, one of two things would happen. I would get this little stack of random, disconnected pieces of paper that had all these things. That was one version. The other version is I wouldn't take them out of my pants and they would go through the laundry and they would either create a mess or a big mess. But in any case, when they were discovered, they no longer had writing on them. And so they were lost. How many of you can relate to that? You, you had this experience. And so I had this other habit of trying to write things down uh, in journals and in notebooks of different kinds, but I had difficulty with that. But I was so relieved when digital uh, information programs were developed that you could do search and retrieval on without having organized everything in advance. Some of you remember the early days where you, you had to create like a little notebook in a folder and you had to put a title on it so that you could one day find that notebook and then you had to write your content very carefully so that it would make sense when you looked at it again. And now, you know, we have search engines that enable us. We don't even have to put tags on things. You can just grab ideas and so forth um, and find them wherever you put them. So I, I switched over to digital, and I keep track of even random thoughts or concrete things, and I only use two programs, and they connect to each other, and they sync across all my devices so that I can review things, I can look at things, and I can retrieve them. Now, that works for me. How many of you are digerati in this way? You try in some way. Okay, there are at least four of us <laughs> who try to do this. Now, Sandy has another system that is really powerful. It's, it's based on writing things down in journals. And when she's studying the scriptures, she will write out by hand the scriptures that catch her attention, that touch her, that become important to her. She'll write them down. She'll write down notes from sermons in her journals as well. And, at, you know, when we, were, when we were married for just a few years, there'd be a, a time when something would happen and Sandy would say, you know, the Lord spoke to us about this. It was on a Thursday night and it was like, you know, it was in December and we were in Myrtle Beach. I'll just pick something. I'll say... Really, how do you know that? And she would go to one of her journals and she would open up the right one and open up the page and then read to me from the journal. And I go, wow. 
Now, when she says, yes, the Lord spoke to us, it was on a Tuesday morning at 6.30 in the morning. We were on a train uh, from Kiev to Nikolaev. I don't say, oh, how do you know that? <laughs> She's on her 62nd journal. She has 62 journals that she's completed. Is that 62? She's on her new one, new journal from Eric? Yeah, with Bob Dylan on the cover. (laughs) Impressive, yeah. (laughs) 62 journals she's filled with the record of the scriptures and the words of the Lord that God has given us. It's a way of giving honor to the word of the Lord. You, you don't just trust your memory. If you're like me, you can remember something for about five minutes on many occasions, and then you just forget, and then you don't even remember that you forgot. It's like, what a great idea. And anyone who ever has used drugs knows what this thought process is like. <laughs> What an incredible idea. That's what I've heard. (laughs) It's important to write down the word of the Lord. When you know something is from the Lord, it's important to have a process by which you can retain it. You can hold on to it. When Yeshua said, said, let my words abide in you, it was part of instruction that he was giving about how to lead an effective life with prayer and fruitfulness. Because many people have a prayer life that's ineffective and unfruitful. They don't pray in, in ways that Yeshua taught us to pray, they pray in some other ways because they've never given weight to what Yeshua said. Yeshua said, and he gave two conditions. He said, if you abide in me, that's condition number one, if you abide in me. Condition number two was, if my word abides in you, then you can ask what you desire and it will be done for you. And by this, by abiding in the Lord, letting the Lord's word abide in you, and asking and receiving, you will bear fruit to the glory of your Father in heaven. He's saying this is how it works. Two conditions, abide in me. Have a living relationship with me. And never allow the outworkings of our religious tradition to be a substitute for the relationship to the degree that they enhance our relationship, good. But sometimes we can become masters of our own traditions and we can get far away from God. We need to stay close to God. Abide in me, Yeshua said. And if my words abide in you, if my words have life, if they find a home in your heart and in your mind, if, if they are living inside of you, then it will change everything about how you think and what you desire, how you pray, and how you receive from the Lord. So it's necessary 
to put the effort into holding on to the words that God gives to us. And I think writing down what the Lord shows you or speaks to you is one of the ways that you can put effort into honoring the word. But I think it has to be in such a way that you can get to it, you can retrieve it, you can find it, you can examine it, you can review it. Some things that you think are the Lord were not the Lord. They were your wishful thinking or they were your own personal analysis, but they turned out not to be from the Lord. But some things you will receive from God that you know are from the Lord and you know for certain they are from God. They were not your thoughts, they were his thoughts. They were not your agenda, they were his agenda. And when you hold on to those and you keep track of them, you can contemplate and consider them and you can give God's words to you an honored place in your heart and your mind. That's what Jacob was doing as he was praying to the Lord. Now let's read on. Genesis 32, verse 25. Jacob was left alone, and then some man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when he saw that he did not defeat Jacob, the man said, the man struck Jacob's hip socket so that Jacob's hip was dislocated while wrestling with him. The man said, let me go because it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. The man said, what's your name? And he answered, Yaakov. The man said, from now on, you'll no longer be called Yaakov, but Yisrael, because you have shown your strength to both God and men and have prevailed. Yaakov asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why are you asking about my name? And he blessed him there. He didn't give the name. Now, it's a very interesting moment where there's a man wrestling. Who is the man? Well, the scripture tells us who the man was in the next verse. Jacob called the place Peniel, face of God, because I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is spared. This is Jacob's commentary, who is the man? It was the Lord. The man was the Lord. The, the man was the Lord. The Lord came to me, came to him in the form of a man. And it wasn't just a spiritual dream or trance or vision. This was a physical presence of a person who wrestled with Jacob and who touched his hip in such a way that he limped forever after that. It even gives explanation to why the children of Israel don't eat a certain part of uh, the muscle in honor of Jacob's experience. This was not a dream sequence, it's a figure, it's a man who came and who was with him. And who was the man? Jacob says, it was the face of God I saw. I was with God face to face. And I wasn't destroyed. I limp, but I wasn't destroyed. That's an important comment. Many people say, well, where do you see Yeshua in the Torah? I'll say, how about right here? Every time that God manifests himself, in the form of a man, we can say it's the Son of God. 
that it is God presenting himself in this way. From the time that God walked with Adam and talked with Adam, and the sound of the Lord walking could be heard by Adam, to the time that the Lord came and ate with Abraham, and now wrestling with Jacob, we have a picture of God that is so important. It is a picture of a God-man. It's not a man who became God. It's God who can take on the form of a man. God who can enter into our world, into our physical world, who can, who can be experienced, perceived, and related to, who can touch and have an effect. Now, this was so important, these experiences with Jacob defined him, and they gave meaning to his life, and they enabled him to interpret his past, his present, and his future, and they kept him connected to God. Now, some people will say, yeah, but these were extraordinary experiences, and it's true, they were extraordinary, but there is something normative that I want to draw from this. One of them is that God can take on physicality. That is essential to our understanding as Messianic Jews. Do you remember there was a time when Paul had gone to the temple and he was trying to demonstrate that he wasn't giving up all Jewishness. And he was at the temple because people were saying, well, you're, now that you're ministering to Gentiles, you're, you don't even think that Jewishness has any value but he was trying to silence those critics, and he was in the temple. And then there was a, a big hubbub. He got arrested. It turned out that he used his Roman citizenship as, um, as a means of defense. And then he got turned over to the Sanhedrin, and then they started saying, oh, you are just a troublemaker, because this is what happens to us when you start following Yeshua. And interestingly... Paul said, no, I'm in trouble because I believe in the resurrection like the Pharisees, as a, Fa as a Pharisee, and I reject the idea of the Sadducees. He said, that's why there's so much trouble right now. You see, the Sadducees did not believe that eternity had any physicality to it. And the Pharisees did. They believed that there would be a physical resurrection and then our bodies resurrected and transformed, but still bodies, would, would migrate into eternity after death. So Paul says, yeah, the real problem is I believe in the physical resurrection. <coughs> well, the Sadducees in that group and the Pharisees in that group start arguing with each other over all of this. Later on, Paul says that if you, don't, if you don't know Yeshua was actually resurrected, then you're really to be pitied because the resurrection is a key to understanding. If you don't understand that, that God can enter into our time and space world and participate materially, then you'll end up with many wrong understandings. And so it's important not to fall into the trap that the Greeks did or that the, the Muslims did or that the Jews influenced by the Muslims like Maimonides and others 
did, where they thought that the ideal world, the world of eternity, has no physicality to it. It's only spiritual. But Torah teaches us otherwise, that, that God can come down into our world and take on physicality. This is at the center of not only the gospel, but it's at the center of the mosaic presentation of God in Torah, that God can come into this world and be present here, physically present. So I, wanna, I want you to contemplate that, think about that, consider the ramifications of it, but I also want you to hold on to something, the word of the Lord to you, the word that God has given you, because in the next few weeks, we're gonna be focusing on this so that you can be good caretakers of the word of the Lord to you. If you've forgotten God's word to you, you may be unanchored and tossed to and fro. If you have dishonored God's word by ignoring it or never even documenting it, it's time to make a change. The Lord may help you remember certain things or he may give you understanding. And then I want you to be like Jacob. Hold on to it, commit it to memory, be able to recite it to the Lord. Use it in prayer, not to persuade the Lord, but to persuade your soul regarding the things God has said so that his word would be settled in your life and would be milestones for you and a lamppost for you. That's my hope for you. And that's how I wanna pray right now as we close. Lord, thank you for sending your word. Thank you for putting your word in our hearts and in our minds. We wanna be good caretakers of your words, faithful to you and the word of the Lord. And let it be that because all of your words are true, you're the God who speaks and makes it come to pass. Not one word of yours proceeds from your mouth that is not fulfilled. Thank you, Lord, that you say and you do. And let us be those who hear you and do your word. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. Would you please rise? Don't forget, all of you who are going to the safety meeting, head over to the Flex Room. Everybody else is invited for coffee at the Shalom Center, as always. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom.